Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. And... Joe Manis with the St. Louis Beacon, back from Denver. And State Senator... State Senator Scott Roop from St. Charles County. Senator, thank you very much for joining us. Why don't we have you tell us a little bit about yourself, why you got into politics, and, and what you've been up to this session. Sure, no problem. Um, live in Wentzville. I uh, got a uh, great wife, five kids. Uh, just uh, got lucky enough to uh, have great parents that just raised me. Five with, kids uh, is a lot of kids. Yes, I was the youngest <laughs> of five myself. Um, and, you know, and so just early on, they just kind of instilled in that public service and giving back. And I was elected to the Missouri House in 2002. I got into politics because a family friend was a judge when I was a kid, and I loved stapling the signs and going to the parades and <laughs> passing out candy. And then when I got into high school, I had a great uh, teacher that taught a college credit course on political science, taught all ideologies, taught you know everything from communism to fascism to conservatism, and learned that there's seven answers to one question depending on what your ideology is. Went to Mizzou, got involved in college Republicans, uh, volunteering on campaigns, came back, started three small businesses, you know, uh, you know, had the house with the picket fence and baby on the way, and thought. Now's the time to, to, to get in and, and, and reach a dream and ran for state rep at 27, won, won two terms, state senator resigned, the party asked me to be the senator, ran, had three elections for state senate in eight months. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember and, that. Yeah, and I was uh, reelected. You, you, you were part of the John Dolan butterfly effect. Yes. <laughs> he is the Ashton Kutcher of Missouri politics. Because if he correct. wouldn't have resigned, you wouldn't have become a senator. Bob Onder wouldn't have become a rep. If Bob Onder wouldn't have run for Congress, Gatchenberger wouldn't have become a rep. That's so. true. Yeah. It, it's this, the the this wonderful like title <laughs> of the Ashton Kutcher of Missouri politics. <laughs> not him, John He's, Dolan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and John is not that good looking. So. <laughs> Well, if we're going to talk a little bit about what uh, what you've been up to this session, we should say Joe and I were at uh, the governor's speech at the RCGA this right. afternoon, and you did get a shout-out for your work on the second injury fund. Right, right. Which, which I think universally is seen as one of the big successes of session. But knowing from talking with you earlier this session, this was – an interesting bill that came together. How how did how did this finally get passed in, in your view? And tell us a little bit and, about the yeah. problem and, that, and the that's problem. been existing for a you while. Know, the, the problem was is that you know you, you injured workers that already had a pre-existing condition, another injury or whatever. Uh, you know, we started this program back in the you know well at 1920s, 1930s, um, and basically, if someone had a pre-existing condition or if they had been hurt in the war or something. They weren't most likely going to get hired because if they became totally disabled, the whole uh, you know disability is on the employer. So they came up with this second injury fund that every all the employers voluntarily paid into, um, you know, and to have a set aside uh, you know money if, you know for someone was hurt. Well, the problem happened, and uh, you know, with the economy went down, so you had less people uh, with jobs, so you had less people paying in. We had capped the amount of money going into the fund at three percent. Um, you know, and so all of a sudden, and you have high unemployment and things, the fund went bankrupt. It's been bankrupt for five years. There's no money to pay injured workers. And so we've tried to fix it, tried to fix it, and nobody could get it done. And so finally, it got to the point where the attorney general couldn't settle cases. He had no money. So now we have a backlog of 30,000 cases Correct. that are sitting there uh, that need to be adjudicated. Um, and people that have already been awarded money haven't gotten any payments. And so it really was a black eye on the state of Missouri and on on business and on labor and on the, on the state. And it needed to be fixed. And it, finally this year, after four or five years of trying, we got it done. So what were some aspects that you, that your bill had that you wanted to point out 
that that changed how the second injury fund worked and also changed the workers' compensation system. Well, and why were you successful when the last three or four years has been efforts and they die? What was different this time? Well, what was different this time is in, in the past, um, I what I always like to say is, you know, the hall walkers or the lobbyists or the or the interest groups, they tried to get uh, the perfect bill of, of that everybody liked. And, and when you're dealing with this big of a problem, you're never going to make everyone happy. Uh, you know, so you'd get you get an agreement, and then one group would say, "No, we don't like this," and it'd fall apart. And so year after year, it just it would fall apart, and you could never get it done. So this year, we just said, "You know what? We know what you want, and we're going to regain control. We're going to do what the voters elected us to do: is to make tough decisions." So I listened to everybody. I listened to the labor groups. I listened to the trial attorneys. I listened to the business groups, and said, "What would you like to see?" And then we shut the door. And then we got to work. We started figuring out what could we do, what's politically possible. Then we just rolled out a bill, and my colleagues were great. They stood behind me and said, you got to fix. We can get this done. It passed 31 to 1 out of the Senate or something like that. Um, And so we would have never gotten it through the Senate by, you know, showing our hand early and allowing all the interest groups to go nitpick it because what happened was – it goes down to the other side of the building. It sat there for two months while everybody just, just tore it, tearing it apart. We don't like this. We don't like this. And that's what took another two and a half months to try to get it across the, the finish line. But really, we just we just regained control of the process. That is my opinion of why it worked this year and it hadn't in the past. Okay. Now, everybody's known that the second injury fund was bankrupt for, for multiple years. But there was an audit in November or December, sometime this winter, right. that – that, that confirmed it. Do you think that, that that added a lot of pressure or did it just confirm what it everybody just, It just confirmed. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I'm the chair of the Small Business Committee and we heard this bill right. every single year and it became a joke. It was like, well, this year we're really broke. Then the next year we were really, really, really broke. broke. And then we were re- – and it just – we all knew we were broke. That the, the, Just the interest alone on the payments that we owed people went up $14 million last year. And that was just the interest. So it was it was as we're getting into a bigger, bigger hole. Are there any other major issues this session that you feel good about that you were involved in? You know, this one was the was the biggest one because I think it, it hit everyone. I mean, it hit every individual worker. It hit hit everyone. There was a lot of other uh, you know you know successes here and there, but it kind of depends on you know what you're interested in. You know, but on an overall encompassing, the something that affected every Missourian. Every Missourian can get hurt. Every Missourian has, that's that's working. This was probably you know the biggest thing uh, you know that that got done. Okay. Well, now shall we shift to the elephant in the room? <laughs> yes. Let's yeah. let's shift. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit um, about the school transferring situation. Your your district uh, encompasses some of that area. And I, I was at uh, the Francis Howell meeting um, that was last week where there were, you know, nearly 3,000 parents there for about three hours. Many of them were very upset. Um, one of the school board members toward the end of it, and I, and I don't have the quote in front of me and I don't have the name of the school board member, but he essentially said there's been a lot of talk about school choice in, in the previous years. And he says, this is school choice. This is, you're looking at it. Do you agree with that sentiment that this is what it's all about? Well, I don't, I wouldn't say that the situation we're in is school choice. You know, you had a school district that chose and said, if you're not going to come here, then this is the only place you could go. And they picked a place that was 34 miles away that passed mm-hmm. up 74 other schools on its way. I firmly believe it was designed so that not that many kids would make that A choice. lot of people, you know, a lot of people, you know, and when you. you, when you look at 34 miles, that's if you're the last person to get on the bus and the first person off. So mm-hmm. I think when they published the, bu- uh, the bus schedules and you're looking at, okay, am I going to get my fourth 
grader up at 4.30 in the morning so he can be on the bus for an hour and 30 minutes, I, I, I don't see it happening. Um, so that is not school choice. School choice is I actually have a real choice. I can go here, I can go here, I can go here, I can go here. This is just the place where Normandy picked that they would pay for the transportation to that school. Now, but when I talked to you about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, you were saying, because there was already some state legislators on the House side uh, saying, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to change the law or something. And you were saying, well, this is how the law is. This, mm-hmm. is, this, is, this is what the law calls for. Do you see a serious effort next session to change the law? Or do you think, as far as allowing this type of transfers, or do you think there's something else that should or could be done? Well, I think some people are going to try to just undo it. They're going to say, well, you, you can't do that. Um, you know, this law has been on the books for 20-some years, and right. it, it was supposed to be the, the the nuclear option that a school district would never let their school get to this point for this to happen, but a lot of the school districts didn't you know, didn't see that as a, a deterrent. So I think some of the things that should be and, and will be addressed next year is can they pass up 74 other viable schools and pick one that is so far away, you know, should it be some, you know, should they have the option to do all of them within there? Should it be much more open rather than picking just one or, or, or two? Uh, you know, so then it doesn't give the incentive to, well, we're going to give you this false sense of an answer, but no one's going to choose it. That, I think, is probably a more viable, uh, you know, option, you know, because if you have all the kids that could go five miles away or 10 miles away and, and, and things of that nature, then you're not going to have this this big, well, why are they picking this one? Just like, you know, why did Riverview Gardens pick Melville? There's not much capacity. It's far away. Again, I think that was a way to try to deter parents from choosing this option. Did you watch the coverage of the hearing from Francis Hall last week? And if so, what was kind of your reaction to the reaction of parents there? Um, It was not surprised. I was not there. I was traveling back from southwest Missouri, but I had a lot of friends there that were were giving me updates. Um, But it was exactly how you knew it would go down. You you have a, a public hearing with people that can come up to the mic with not much information and they're looking for answers or looking for solutions and you have a the school board wouldn't allow you know the, the legislators <laughs> to you know to speak and say this but they laid it right at their feet um, so it was it was ugly and, and unfortunately we kind of knew it was going to to be that but uh, um, and, and, but I think hopefully if parents get more information and once the numbers actually come out it, it, some of the the concern will die down. What sort of fallout have you been hearing as far as your particular stance or the fact that you seem to be taking a more pragmatic approach, you know, saying, well, let's see what the numbers are. What sort of fallout have you been getting with parents? Because it seems the way you're reacting is different from the way Mark Parkinson Mm -hmm. and Chrissy Summer are reacting to it. Like, Yes. So Re- Representative Parkinson has been calling for a special session. Right. You know, and, and, and also they, you know, they're right in the heart of it. I, I have three other school districts in, in my district, so I have, to, I have to take a more of a, of, a, of a larger approach to it. But I've been someone all along uh, since my career as a state rep has been very pro-school choice, very give parent, you know, you know parents options. We've got to fix these failing school districts. It's only going to get worse. And, and the more that Desi doesn't do anything, that's just you're failing generation after generation of, of, of child. So I, I think something should be done uh, to give these kids an opportunity to escape a, fail, a failing school district. Now, should they just be all uh, said, here's a place you can go, no one's going to choose it? Um, you know, last year, the negotiations on trying to get a Turner fix or something to that 
broke down from from what I had ascertained was due to the the, the school bo- uh, superintendents and their organizations thought they were going to win the lawsuit. So they didn't really need to negotiate because they're like, we're not going to have to deal with this. That didn't work out that way. Uh, you know, so I think you're going to have to have school reform in order to get this uh, done, which is much needed because just the status quo is not working and we're continuing to fail generations of, of children. And that's not how I want to leave the Senate. And, and how hopeful are you that there could be some sort of education reform next session? Because th- that's asking a lot. It is asking a lot. And I think it's going to be a, an uphill battle. I mean, you look at the education ref- watered down package that they tried to get through the House that failed. And then they brought it up for, for, for later on. And then they kept the board open for 30 minutes trying to get the vote. And it failed again. You know, so I think it's a very big uh, Herculean task. But you know, unfortunately, you know, you know, Jeff Smith, former senator from St. Louis, uh, and I were great friends, very you know, different parties, both very pro-school choice. Um, you know, and when he came in, I was very hopeful for school choice. But it seems in the last several years, we've gone backwards on that issue for a variety of different reasons. Um, but, you know, so I, I'm very skeptical that something can be done. But I always try to under-promise and over-perform. So. <laughs> how, how do you think these schools should be chosen as far as the accredited school that the, un, uh, the, the students who go to the unaccredited school will, will be bused to? I think they should have the option to go to, to any, any school district that you know, touches their district or within the same county or, or what have you or, or set a mile limit or something, but just give them the choice to go to anyone they want. Now, the governor said today, he reaffirmed what he'd said last week or so, was that he was not going to call a special session. And he said one of the reasons he wasn't was because there needed to be consensus. He said he only he, that a special session only works if there's consensus, and he said there obviously isn't consensus. I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts about whether or not there should be a special session or not? Well, I mean, special sessions are called when you already have the solution. Right. That that's is, what and that's saying. why a special session is you don't go up there and try to figure out as you go. It's we have the solution. Let's get it up, go through the processing, and, and pass it. And I think you're correct. There isn't a solution, um, you know, because you're 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 now you're, you're with this hitting Francis Howell School District is hitting a whole different constituency than it has in the past. It's going to happen in Blue Springs. There's about 14 other school districts that are really close. So it's going to continue to start, you know, uh, becoming a bigger issue uh, across the state. And until that happens, you'll, you'll get consensus at that point. But right now, if you're not in St. Charles County, if you're not in Francis Howe, or if you're not in Melville School District and you're over in, in Johnson County, you're like, well, how does this affect me? So you, you weren't at the meeting, but you said you, you had some friends there who filled you in. What do you think is you know, at the heart of why all of these parents, why so many parents are so angry and afraid about these incoming students? No, I, I think it's probably just fear of the unknown. I think it, it, it's fear, okay, I have, I have a great school district that, you know, has had problems in the past and they've built it up and got their financial footing and it and is doing very well. And what's what's going to happen? Why why did the other school district fail? Was it, you know, is it the test scores? Is it the failure of the, super, uh, of the administration, of the school board? So parents just don't know. All they know is their child's education is going to be impacted in some way, shape, or form positive, negative, when people don't like change, people fear change, and when something is, is all of a sudden just thrust on them, they don't know people's initial uh, reaction is to, you know, if they're not up on it, they're down on it, and is this the fear of the unknown? Well, we're going to take a quick break while we switch studios, but we will be back, and we're back. Sorry about that short break. We had uh, my coworkers were, were pounding on the door uh, with pitchforks and fire. Uh, we had to get kicked out of the studio and go into a different studio 
uh, with only three mics. But let's pick it up. Jason, I think you had some uh, a question or two. Yeah. Um, I We've had Senator Lamping in the studio a few weeks ago, and he talked about how ethics reform for him is going to be a big issue. It might end up being his last year because he seemed to say mm-hmm. that he's unsure whether he's going to run for reelection. I wanted to ask you about this issue because I think you have a, a, a different perspective than a lot of people who've been calling for ethics reform like him and Senator Lager is that you actually sponsored a bill this session to cap campaign contribution limits. And my question is, it's, it's twofold. Why did you sponsor that bill? And do you think that any, quote unquote, ethics reform is going to be possible without dealing with campaign contribution limits. So it's kind of a two-part question, but sure. I wanted You're, to hear your take yeah, on it. Yeah, I, I, I did sponsor a bill to cap contribution limits. Um, I voted to remove campaign contribution limits several years ago, a biggest uh, regretting vote I, that I have. Um, back then, there's no way I anticipated one individual getting a $100,000 check, two hundred three, or what was the, what's the record, $384,000 check yeah. for one person. I, you just didn't think that was going to happen. I thought, oh, maybe you might get a, a corporation or something that donates 25000 you know, because we were living in an era of, you know, $675. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I woefully underestimated the, the amount of money that, that has started to flow, flow into the campaigns. And, and I, I just don't think it's, 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 it's helped the system. I think it's hurt the system. Uh, when you can have you know a handful of individuals uh, that can just pretty much underwrite you know, one one candidate, you know why should that candidate you know reach out and, and learn about other areas of the state, reach out to different types of people and different types of voters when they, all they have to do is just make one or two or three you know, or four people happy in in, in the state. Uh, so I think that it just it looks bad, it smells bad. Uh, um, you know, if someone gives you a half a million dollars in one check, you're gonna you're gonna take their call, and you're going to listen to what they say, and is and, and so human nature takes over. Uh, so I just think that it needs to be reined back in, just for the integrity of the system, uh, just so it passes the smell test with the voters, because there's enough voter distrust out there of, of elected officials, and this this doesn't help. Do you think that it, the legislature can deal with this issue, or is it going to have to probably go through the ballot because there's a lot of Republicans? And some Democrats, if you recall, in 2008, mm-hmm. Tim Green was a big, big Tim Green sponsored the sponsored amendment. The amendment. Uh, uh, you know, to but do, do you think it's going to be through the ballot where this happens, or do you think the legislature can deal with it? I, I do not think the legislature will be able to deal with it. I think uh, that the only way the legislature will deal with it is if there is the threat of an initiative petition and the limits are f- pr- predominantly very low. Yeah. Uh, you know, the limits that I put in you know, were something of you know. Uh, you know, five thousand or ten thousand dollars for a state senator, five thousand for a state rep, and I think you know twenty five thousand for mm-hmm. a, a uh, you know a statewide you know official. Uh, you know, so I had some pretty you know large limits to you know campaigns are expensive, um, but I think if an initiative petition comes in, it'll be much lower than that. So the only way that a the legislature would want to act would be out of oh my gosh, if we don't do something preemptive, then there's an initiative petition that's probably going to bring it into much lower well, limits. 20 years ago, that actually is what happened, because the only reason we got the campaign donation limits to begin with was that there was an initial petition uh, to get limits on there, and then, in fact, um, the legislature approved something, then there was lower limits that were approved at the polls, and that's what uh, subsequent led to years and years and years of litigation. But I always thought it was interesting, because now Senator Roy Blunt was actually one of the leaders of the original effort to get campaign donation limits, and it was his son who signed the law to get rid of them. Yeah, and it, it is it is something that 
that if, if an initiative petition comes out, it's going to be extremely hard to beat. You know, it, it'll pass with 75 percent of the vote. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the people want campaign finance uh, you know, limits. You can make the argument that it's my individual freedom. I can give whatever I want. Um, you know, and I listened to that argument, and I voted that way. You know, back in what two thousand and seven or eight or whatever it yeah. was. And but but I, I I think that the way it's it's playing out is not in the best interest of the public. Now the question that I always ask proponents of of campaign finance limits is, can they work? Because we've seen in federal legis- elections, mm-hmm. the super PACs basically rendered federal limits useless. In two thousand, in the inter period between two thousand six and two thousand seven. You saw committees being used to basically go around it. Coster was a great example right. of that. So is there a way to craft a system where people don't use those subterfuges, or is it just a situation where it might not be the best solution, but it's better than, than, than what we have, essentially? There, there, there's ways. I mean, obviously, if, if you just put the limits on, people will create you know 500 different committees and then funnel money. But if you transfer, if you block the transfer between committees, right. that, that makes a huge issue. But then also what you need to do is you need to make sure there can only be one treasurer at one mailing address and not allow P.O. boxes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to be used so they would keep, you know, uh, you know, John Smith from being the treasurer of 400, uh, you know, campaign you know, committees all at one P.O. box. And then it's just easy to, to move it around. But if I actually really had to do the work to have a separate committee, have a separate treasurer, have a separate mailing address and do it right now, it's just so easy. It's just shuffling paper around. Mm-hmm. So you need you need to put some steps in there to, to make it more difficult people will get around it. There's no way you can probably stop it, but at least you can make it very difficult rather than just, I'm going to hire you for $30,000 a year salary to be the treasurer of all, of all these 400 campaigns and just make everything you know work out mathematically. Which groups would be willing, though, to do an initiative petition drive? A uh, state Democratic Party made it, quote, an issue a couple of years ago, but then they didn't follow through. I mean, they just kind of put it out there saying, we support this but then they didn't fund it. Is there any groups that you're aware of who are willing to actually get out on the streets and get these signatures? Not, not that I'm aware of. Or there might be some groups that want it, but they would have the financial wherewithal to you know, get the people out and get the message out. But uh, as of right now, I don't know of any. It's going to take uh, a well-funded group or somebody to get, uh, to get into you know, that mode to get behind it to, get it, to get it on the ballot. So kind of switching gears a little bit more generally this next year will be your last year in the missouri senate as i was kind of mentioning before even though you were only 39 years old you are the most senior member of the missouri senate because you came in in a special election in 2006 Uh, again kind of a two-part question what are kind of the things you want to do in your so-called swan song basically and kind of just give a sense of you know what your your experience has been like in the Missouri legislature. Mm-hmm. You you probably had a much more fast paced ride through it than most people. So like to hear your take yeah, on it, both it, of those things. It's been a it's been a fantastic, amazing experience. Um, you know, so I, I'm not looking next year to do anything huge. Um, because I, we've done a lot of big things, and we, we, we wrote all the immigration law back for the state in 2008, which there wasn't a bigger issue. It was on TV every single night. We handled that. We did all the cyber-stalking you know, issues after the Megan Meyer you know, case. We did the autism insurance reform. Um, I handled the, the redistricting for the congressional committees, and then this past year we did second injury fund and workers' compensation overhaul. So we've had huge successes on big-ticket bills. 
Um, you know, so I, I, I don't know what else big that I could, you know, that I think has a chance of passing. I will do the campaign finance reform, but I don't think it'll pass. You know, uh, things that are dear to my heart are, are helping kids with developmental disabilities, uh, trying to make sure that they have employment opportunities after they get out of the school system and, and continuing down down that line. But, uh, you know, for when I started at 27 to, to, to 39 years old, it's been a fantastic, amazing experience that I've, I've, I've really been blessed with, been able to get to do. And, and, and I highly recommend anybody that has an interest, they definitely should get involved because it's amazing. And I was going to bring that up. It's like there, there are people in the Missouri Senate who like filibuster all the time and play quote unquote defense. And there seems to be a select few who actually handle big pieces of legislation. I would put you in that category, not to suck up with, to you while you're in front of me. But I think as you kind of mentioned, that has been kind of your role in the Missouri Senate. Has that been something that you relished or has it been times been a frustrating horrible experience carrying all these big ticket bills like how has that been for you no i i took the the viewpoint of if i'm going to be here if i'm going to be away from my family for four nights a week for five months out of the year i'm going to do and something big and i'm going to change you know the state and you know you know for the better so i've wanted to make those big uh, those big types of changes the difficult part has been that you know, I'm somebody that I always think you're going to get rewarded for hard work and doing a good job, and being able to you know craft great laws, change people's lives on the state level, um, doesn't necessarily correlate into political success. Where you know fundraising and and being out uh, in times, and so that's been probably the, like the biggest you know thing is like wow you know the hard work and the success doesn't always correlate into into political uh, you know success, but. Uh, you know, when I look back and tell my kids what we've been able to do, I, I, I cherish that role. There's way, it's too easy to stand up and say no to everything, but try to get people out of 34 egos to get in the room and, and craft something together and, and, then, and then call a good piece of legislation that actually works. You know, that's, that's a much bigger accomplishment. You chaired the uh, special committee uh, in 2011 that was dealing with some of the Medicaid proposals, the uh, uh, healthcare exchanges, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing those hearings around the state. As you know, nothing happened. Do you think anything will happen in the, in your last year, or do you think that's kind of a dead issue? I, I still don't see it happening. I, I don't think with the personalities that are there, unless there is some type of massive reform bill that can, that can come together, that can bring people along, I, I just don't see how if it – if it's just expansion of Medicaid, if it's just you know you know putting together a health insurance exchange, which we're not going to do as a state, it's already passed. Uh, I don't see that happening. It's going to have to be a pretty intensive reform uh, build to, to to sweeten the pot to get enough people it to go. Is along. is one of the problems? I, I hate to single out one person, but this has been my theory for a long time: is that now that Senate. Senator Schaff is there, and he's making demands that any Medicaid expansion be paired with getting rid of the certificate of need process, which, you know, causes the licensing of hospitals. Is that going to be like an insurmountable barrier to doing anything? Because he's used that similar argument to kill smaller Medicaid expansions in the past when he was in the House. Is that a major concern of a lot of people in the Senate? that that may happen, or, or is that just kind of a tertiary yeah, it's a issue. tertiary. I mean, I, I think CON, there, there's enough people that would say, let's just get rid of it. I mean, wow, if i got to go get, go to a committee so I can buy a $1 million MRI piece of equipment or something mm-hmm. like that nature, um, is it there? I mean, is it useful? Do other, other states don't have it? So, I mean, I don't think that's a big issue. It is for, for Senator Schaff. It's a huge issue for him. 
But to tie it, to, to, to get rid of it, yeah, you're going to get some groups that don't like it, but there's so many pieces of any type of reform that they wouldn't like. I don't mm-hmm. see that being the linchpin that, that makes something happen or not happen. Uh, quick, uh, what is your plans after you're out? I mean, you ran, you tried running for Secretary of State in 2012. That didn't work out. Uh, lost in the primary. Uh, are there other offices that you may be looking at? May you make another uh, run for that or something else? What are your thoughts? You know, I had a I had a blast running for Secretary of State. It was fun. It was you know I set goals for my life, and one of them was to run for statewide office, and I did it. It was it was fun traveling the state, meeting people, giving talks, um, and I've done that. Uh, I, I really doubt that I w- would be doing that again. Obviously, you, you you get out of the game for for four years. It's it's hard to get back in, especially in the era of of, of the campaign limit or finance un, no limits and and things of that nature. It's 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 very tough. Um, yeah, I've been approached for several various different types of offices uh, uh, to run for, you know, next year or in the future. Um, but I have made no decision. The one piece of advice I was given from other people that had lost, uh, you know, uh, primaries and elections statewide is don't make any decisions for a year. You know, you're still working through the process of working so hard and not winning and, and, and the emotional drain and then just reconnecting with the family and everything. I said, just 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 make sure you decompress and then and then. Uh, look at it. So we'll be making some decisions in, in March, uh, uh, you know, when filing does come around. Um, and other than that, yeah, I do have five kids. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're 11, 10, 10, 7, wow. and 7. And oh, I like man. coaching basketball. I like going to the baseball games and playing with them. And my, my, my wife would want nothing more than me to be home every night. Um, you know, so if we did do anything, it would be on a county level. Um, uh, and, and, and if not, we'd, you know, we'd be happy to, to hang up our political hat and had 13 great years and a lot of memories and, and successes and move on. Well, that should just about do it uh, for us on the show here today. Uh, you can read all of my stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can read all of Joe and Jason's stories at stlbeacon.org. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @csmcdaniel. You can follow Joe on Twitter at jmannies, J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you can follow Jason on Twitter at jrosenbaum. You can uh, follow Scott Roop on Twitter there at you Scott go. underscore Roop. Well, Senator, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. Great. Thanks for having me.